I want you to think of someone you know, someone who's a really outrageous storyteller. Maybe not even your favorite storyteller, maybe not the most succinct, but think of someone you know who makes you remember a story. Someone who could turn something like reading a furniture assembly little packet into a terrifying adventure. For me, that's my grandmother, partially because she takes quite a bit of liberty adding her own spin to the stories. Her stories of everyday encounters are just a bit more dramatic, have a bit more detail. For better or for worse, she is where I get my sense of humor from. It is sometimes dark and sarcastic, but it's my grandmother's humor that I have. When I was very young, I would call her, sometimes sneaking the phone into my room, and call her, dial her up, just to hear her stories and to laugh until I couldn't breathe. My mother knew that I had called my grandmother because that was the only time I laughed that hard that you could hear it through the whole house. So that kind of storytelling, the outrageous kind, the kind where the details are more and more, keep that in mind today when we think about the story of Herod's party, the gospel that was just read. That's what's going on today in that gospel. Everything about this is outrageous, the way it's told. So let's go back through the account a bit. Let's get the pieces in line. It starts off talking about who married whom. Herod had married his brother's wife, and marriage was meant to keep elite households together. So it was common for there to be marriage that wouldn't have been permitted in the Torah for people to consolidate power. So when Herod says this, that he honors John, that he thinks highly of John, but John doesn't think that he's following the Torah all the way, there's a bit of tension. Herod and his court and his friends, they follow the Torah part of the way. They follow the Torah, the law, they follow God when it's convenient, when it makes sense, but then there are other ways in which they fail to follow God. So the wife is the one who's upset in this story. She's upset and she wants to get rid of John the Baptist. So Herod thinks that John is righteous still. Pay attention to how it keeps saying that Herod thinks John is righteous. I think this is one of those times where it's okay to laugh when you're reading the Bible. This is meant to be a farce. Mark's gospel in telling this is much different than any other accounts of the end of John the Baptist's life from other historians. For example, there is one historian that we rely on quite a bit named Josephus, who talked a lot about early Jewish, early Christian history. And when he tells the story, it's very clear that Herod is done with John. Herod has had enough. People are following him, and he's afraid that if he doesn't act now, this could be somebody who takes control, takes power. And so when Josephus accounts this story, it's very clear that Herod is the one who's ready, ready for John to be gone, 
And it doesn't say anything about him thinking that he might be righteous. There's no story about the rest of his family, no story of this party. So back to Mark's gospel. What happens is, Herod, on his birthday, it says, throws this outrageous party. And pay attention to who's there. The elites, the officers, the leaders of Galilee. These are all the people who are entrusted to care for others. And instead, they find themselves playing this strange game where Herod asks his daughter, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And she doesn't really know what to ask for. I imagine there would be quite a lot of things you could ask for. Anything that money could buy, they probably could have afforded her. So she goes to the mother and she says, what am I supposed to ask for here? And the mother says, the head of John the Baptist the head of John the Baptist. So the head in this context, people would have heard as pertaining straight to the honor of the person. That's what she's saying. She wants to get rid of John, of course, wants to be rid of this threat, but especially the way the story is told, anyone hearing it from this community would have heard, we want to get rid of his honor. His honor is something that we don't believe in. So this happens in Mark's gospel, this farce of a tale, this tale that is only accounted for with the gospel. It doesn't come across in these other historical tales. Where is this coming? It has something to do with the mission of the apostles. So the story we get today of that great party that leads to John the Baptist's beheading, it is sandwiched in between two really important parts. So right before this, right before this party story, which seems like an abrupt interruption, Jesus is talking to his apostles about what their mission is, telling them that their mission is to go to heal, to anoint the sick. And he's telling them that not everyone is going to accept you for this, and you will not necessarily have honor, because true honor comes from God. So Jesus sends out the apostles two by two, and they go out and they do the work they're supposed to do. But then all of a sudden, this story of John the Baptist what does the mission of the apostles have to do with this tale, with this contrast, with this awkward interruption? Think of it like a political cartoon in the newspaper. There are things that are caricatured and dramatized, this reflection on how this party is going on when people are in need that this power that John the Baptist has amounted is a threat. Mark is trying to have his readers laugh in a sense, in a, in a strange sense at how ridiculous this scenario is. Here we have this great thing going on, this party, this lavishness, but this is not truly following what is right. 
what leaders do. John is someone who follows the Torah with his whole life. There is not a part of John that follows the Torah when it's convenient and then forgets it when it's inconvenient. John is talking to others about his real life, about his genuine passion for God, for following the Torah. He doesn't go halfway, he goes all the way. And what we learn is that when people encounter that, they want that kind of life too. Others want to live an undivided life the way that John does. For him, for Mark, John has a much different story because he lives a life of wholeness, a life, a kind of life where each part of him is permeated by following God, not halfway, not a quarter of the way, not 75%, but every single part of his life is permeated by following God. And he knows that true honor comes from that kind of living, from following God. That's the power and the witness of John the Baptist. And what we will learn is even more so of Jesus. What would it look like if you and I had that kind of practice, that kind of hunger where your goal your mission given to you when you wake up in the morning and get ready for work or school or your community or some Zoom call, what would it look like if, no matter what it is, we are waking up ready to live the mission of God fully, to be who God has called us in our very ordinary lives, not just when we find ourselves praying but praying through how we treat others. It matters. John teaches us that everything we do in our very ordinary lives matters to God. It matters how we treat others, both those who are our colleagues and our friends, as well as our strangers and our enemies. We have to go all the way, not halfway, for following God. There is a Quaker some of you might have encountered named Parker Palmer. And a lot of his work uh, has been with both people of faith, but also people who are just discerning their vocation in ordinary life. What kind of passion do I have? What kind of job should I have? What kind of person do I want to be in my career, in my family? And what he talks about in this book called A Hidden Wholeness, is that there's often this alienation we can feel when there is on one side this public persona of who we are, this thing that everyone sees, and then there's this private persona, this thing that we hide. And alienation happens when these two parts of ourselves become separated. They're not permeating one another. And so he uses the image, instead of there being two separate parts of ourselves, ourself out in the world and ourself who we find ourselves at home to be, that we should find ourselves more on something like a Mobius strip in which there is a wholeness to each part, 
in which we don't do things that are in conflict with our values, but our values of who we are lead into our lives out in the world. What would it mean for us to find our own Mobius strip, our own connection in our lives to the deep questions, to following God all the way, whether or not we speak of God's name in doing so? It's about storytelling. A lot of what today is, is about storytelling. What kind of lives we live, inviting others to live differently. We are all becoming storytellers in some sense. Perhaps not storytellers as eccentric as Mark in this instance, but good storytellers in that our lives become sites where others can be drawn back toward God, toward the ultimate fulfillment of all that is good and true. So this week, consider for a moment where you are looking for more wholeness in your life, where you want to be true to what is good and right. Where do you want to follow God all the way, not just halfway? Find a small way, just a small, small way to tell this story through your actions. Because you never know when just one simple act of kindness or generosity or courage could mean the whole world for someone else. Because through living into your wholeness, through me living into my wholeness, through us becoming like John the Baptist, finding our honor in God, this is what's the most beautiful part about it. God will use that to tell a more beautiful and a more whole story for all of creation. Amen.